it's been a while since I was up here, and I think I forgot how to do it. But I had a wonderful time. Last week, last Thursday, I drove my sister and my brother-in-law to the airport. So now just basically I'm home alone with my wife and my daughter. My home was full of people. And I was just three of us, so now we're in a, another adjustment mood, trying to adjust to the quietness. And as we were coming back, as we are driving back, on Thursday evening with such a clear sky, I could see the moon just, you know, above our lake, Lake Ontario. It wasn't a full moon yet. And what a quick reminder that we are almost right in the middle of the sixth month of God's holy calendar. What is that means for us? Basically, we're just two weeks away, two weeks and a little bit away from the seventh month or from the Feast of Trumpet, which will kick off the holiday, the holiday, uh, the fall festivals, basically. So what I want to do today, I want to talk about the Feast of Trumpets. And I would like to start in Leviticus chapter 23. Just where Brother Mark read the scriptures there. And I would like us slowly to shift our minds, to shift our focus from the summer into the fall festivals. We are just two weeks away, and it's going to take a little bit of time to get into this fall festival mode. So I would like to be the first one to do this today. So Leviticus chapter 23. And just read it, all these verses. We're going to read them a few times through this day. Verse 23. Actually, let's start from Leviticus from the first chapter. This whole chapter is dedicated to the Lord's festivals. Let's start with 23, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be a holy convocation, these are my feast. Three things right away that we get just from this one verse, from verse 2, just to refresh your memories. This time, this holy time, belongs strictly to God Almighty. That's his feast. And it's a special appointment. Very special appointments. This chapter is the chapter of appointments, special appointments. They are very important to God. And as they are very important to God, hopefully this special appointment are also very important to all of us. And as we're going to just read a little bit further down, we don't need to guess when the special appointment times take place because everything is listed here in this whole chapter. So as you go through this whole chapter, you will notice there is no such thing as Easter, there is no such thing as Christmas, and a bunch of other holidays that most of Christianity is keeping it today. On the other hand, it doesn't say anywhere here that this festival are Jewish per se. It says these are my feast. These are Lord's feast. They don't just belong to the people of Israel. And now as we just skip down to verse 4, we skip verse 3. Verse 4, these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocation, which you shall proclaim at their appointed time. Everything must take place at God's appointed time, not by our 
time, but God's appointed time. And here in verse 5, it goes very specific on the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord Passover. It gives us the month. What, what, what is the first month? It gives us the day and gives us the portions of the day when and how we are supposed to keep it. That was specific. God is when it comes to the, his appointments. Now, when he skip down to verse 23 here, we just observed the spring holidays. We had the summertime. Now we are close to the fall, to the fall festivals. So here in verse 23, and then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, so it's not the first month now. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpet, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So I just want to first just make sure and clear what the Feast of Trumpet is not all about. And the reason why I want to do it today because maybe if you get together for the Feast of Trumpet, some brother may come to you and say words like, Happy uh, Rosh Hashanah. And I had, a, I had brethren last year talking to me language like that. And I was shocked by it. I didn't know how to answer it. But let me tell you, this is not a happy new year. The seventh month is not the beginning of the first month. This is not the beginning of the new year. Not at all. This is the seventh month. As we read it, Passover happened to be on the first month. The Feast of Trumpet happens to be on the first day of the seventh month. There is no way in the scripture that you can find the seventh month is the beginning of the new year. Okay? And then also some brethren, they try to be more Jewish. They try to use the Jewish, the Hebrew terminology. So some people think they might get closer to God just by, you know, doing this thing. But I get it. Some people may not fully understand what they say. They may have no idea what some words they sing in Hebrew, what they may mean. But this is not a happy new year. Not at all. So let's make sure and make clear this is not a new year. Not at all. Now, as we go about, as we read it here, God is very specific. Which is the first month, which is the seventh month. And hold your place here, Deuteronomy chapter 16 quickly, just to refresh your memory. Hold your place there, just go to Deuteronomy chapter 16, and look at verse 1 here. And again, God is very specific where he wants to keep his festivals. Observe the month of Abib, which is the first one, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out, out of Egypt but night. So we know it. Keep this thing. Keep this observance on the first month. Don't keep it on the seventh month. Seven months, trumpets, and then we go on this day of atonement. And as we go, is the Feast of Tabernacle. As we follow the Leviticus chapter 23. Go back to Leviticus chapter 23. And one more time. Let's go through these verses here. One more time. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, as we read these verses, just like to look at these verses, see what we do and what we don't do as we read these verses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpet, a holy convocation, and you shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the, to the, to the Lord. So the things that we can get right away from the scripture, no one will absolutely have any objections to it. Number one, it takes place 
on the first day of the seventh month, right? No one can argue with that. That's given. Point two, it is a Sabbath rest. And no customary work is given right here. And it's not just a Sabbath rest. It is also a holy convocation. We don't just rest on it, but we are commanded to gather together to have a holy convocation. Point four. It is a memorial of blowing of trumpets. What's the memorial of? We'll come back to this point a little bit later. And there's another thing that we can argue that we should offer offering made by fire. We'll come back to this memorial a little bit later. Let's talk a little bit about the trumpets. Let's have a quick review. What do we know from the scriptures about the trumpets? Let's go to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. Numbers chapter 10 will cover verses 1 through 10. A review about the trumpets. Verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Make two silver trumpets, not three, not one, two. Make two silver trumpets for yourself. And you shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them. And now with the reasons for the trumpets. What's the reasons for the trumpets? Why Moses had to make these trumpets? So he says, the reason for it is, use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camp. Right? So that's the reason for the trumpets, for the calling of the congregations. How is that supposed to take place? Everything is explained. So verse 3, when they blow both of them, so when they blow the two trumpets, two silver trumpets, when they blow both of them, all the congregations shall gather before you at the door of the tower of meaning. Right? All the congregations, two trumpets, not one, two. The entire congregation gathered at the door. Verse 4. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the division of Israel, shall gather to you. There is the distinction. Two trumpets for everybody, one just for the leaders. So people are supposed to train their ear and listen to the command, what's coming through the, the messages coming through the trumpets. They should know. So that's the one reason. There is another reason, verse 5, for the movement of the camp. Let's follow there. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall, shall then begin the journey. When you sound the advance the second time, the camps that lie on the south side shall begin the journey. They should sound the, they should sound the call for them to begin their journey. And everything needs to be done in a nice and organized order. That's what God is saying. And this is the best way to communicate between the leadership, and the rest of the people. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound advance. So there is a way how we're supposed to blow the trumpets, for how long, and what kind of sound supposed to come from the trumpets. The people were supposed to learn. Now, when the sons of Aaron, verse 8, the priests shall blow the trumpets, and this shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. 
So that's the command. Now, there is another purpose for the trumpets, which is when people are going to the war. Verse 9, when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, two trumpets, not one, two trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord God, your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Blow two trumpets when you're in trouble, and you'll be remembered by me. So that's another reason why the trumpets were made. And verse 10, there is another reason for the trumpets, for observing and proclaiming God's appointed time. Verse 10, also in the day of your gladness and your appointed fasts, and at the beginning, and at the beginning of the, of your months, you shall blow the trumpets, two trumpets, of your burnt offering, over the sacrifices of your peace offering, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So that's just the basic description you can find out about trumpets in the New Testament. You can glean out of it. Because basically, we don't know much from the book of Leviticus how we're supposed to keep the trumpets. We don't have much information about this day. Now, how important it is to distinguish between the one trumpet and the two trumpets? It's very important. If you go to the New Testament, for example, New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's just a quick review. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul is writing about the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51 and 52, he says here, it, it says here, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all asleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. One trumpet, not two. One trumpet. What's the one trumpet? It's the signal to get who? To gather what? The leaders of the congregation. Not the whole congregation. The leader of the congregation. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will, ra- will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So this is first trumpet for the first fruits. Now, First Thessalonians 14, well-known verse. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with a trumpet of God. One trumpet, not two trumpets. One trumpet. Trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. The leaders will rise first. So one trumpet. Now, one more thing about the trumpet, the importance of blowing out the trumpets, we'll find out in Leviticus chapter 25. Just one verse here. Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25, and just one verse here, just to refresh your memory, verse 10. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim Liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. And 
In verse 9, it says, And you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month of the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. That's another significance of the trumpet when it comes to the uh, word of God. And what do we know? What we can get out of the scriptures when it comes to the Feast of Trumpet? So now, that was just a quick review. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23. So the same passage that we started with, 23 and verse 23. So one more time, Feast of Trumpet, take place on the first day, on the seventh month. It is a Sabbath rest and no customary work. It is a holy convocation. And now it is a memorial of blowing of trumpet and offering made by fire. What is a memorial? What memory? What should we remember? Let me lead you this verse, especially the verse 24, from some of the other translations. Because I read to you from New King James Version. Let me read it to you from the New Revised Standard Version. And if you don't have on your phone, if you can switch, listen, listen to what I say. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, in verse 24, speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, comma, on the first day of the month, comma, you shall observe a day of complete rest, comma, a holy convocation commemorated with trumpet blast. It gives you a little bit different meaning than the New King James Version, right? A little bit different meaning. Let's just read NIV version, New International Version. It's a similar to the New Revised Standard Version, but just listen verse 24. Say to, is, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, comma, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet Blast. A little bit differently. Okay? Let me give you another translation here. And this time from the complete Jewish Bible. Tell the people of Israel, comma, in the seventh month, comma, the first of the month is to be for you a day of complete rest for remembering, comma, a holy convocation announced with blast on the shofar. So here it's totally different. Let me read it again. In the seventh month, comma, the first of the month is to be for you a day of complete rest for remembering, comma, a holy convocation announced with blast on the shofar. Complete rest for remembering. Remembering what? Remembering what? Just one more quote from other source. Holman Christian Standard Bible. Tell the Israelites in the seventh month, comma, on the first day of the month, comma, you are to have a day of complete rest, comma, commemoration, comma, and joyful shouting. A sacred assembly. 
Where do you put the comma? It makes such a big difference when you read the biblical text. Now, if you go here to this text in my New King James Version, when you look at the word memorial, at the Hebrew text, when you look and study this word, memorial, it comes from the Hebrew word zikron, Z-I-K-R-O-N. Z-I-K-R-O-N, which can mean a memorial, reminder, remembrance. In other words, to remember, to recall, to call to mind. Again, the big question here, what are we supposed to, what are we supposed to remember? What are we supposed to recall? What are we remembering on the day of Trump? Think for a moment. I'll give you a few minutes here. We can talk together, see if we have the answer to it. Don't be shy. The Bible doesn't give it a direct answer, but we are supposed to remember something, something spectacular. What it could possibly be that we remember this on the day of atonement? Hold on, Ray. Give everybody a chance to think. I'll give everybody a few minutes. Don't be afraid. Talk together. Try to figure it out. We've been observing this day for such a long time, right? We should know. What is the memorial of? When it comes November Day, when you call a Remembrance Day, we know exactly what are we doing on this day, Right? What about the Feast of Trumpet? What the Feast of Trumpet is a memorial of? Any ideas? Ray was Ray. Ray was first one. Yeah. In Egypt? Do you have a record in the scripture that can point to it? Any other ideas? Well, Alan asked me, why does it say about a burnt offering? And I said, well, Jesus is our sacrifice. So yeah. I think that's what we're supposed to remember is that yeah. Jesus is our sacrifice. Okay. Let's, let's, let's just put yourself you're in the Jewish audience before Christ. What you, would you be for you as a memory, as a remembrance? Jericho. Jericho. Jericho was way after Leviticus 23. Olivia. Okay. Very good. Olivia. Very good. Let's go there. Let's revisit the scripture. Let's revisit some of the scripture. Exodus chapter 19. Because if you understand what happened there, I think it shifts the meaning for the Feast of Atonement a lot. Exodus chapter 19. And let's start from verse 4. Leviticus, Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. 
and actually start from verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus he shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on the eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Think for a moment. The greatest empire that ever existed at that time, we're talking about the Egypt. The greatest, the greatest army ever existed was in Egypt. When God says that he just took them like an eagle, it was just a split second how the eagle can attack its prey, take it and just pick it up so quickly from the ground and just soar into the air. God is comparing his actions to the eagle. And he's not only took them out of Egypt, he totally destroyed the Egypt as a kingdom. Totally destroyed them at the same time. And no casualty from the Israelite side. This is a miracle. This is one of the greatest miracles that ever happened on this earth. And I'll just keep reading. As the results of it, what God did for them. He says in verse, one more time, verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wing and brought you to myself. And because of this, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. What a choice. Hey, I want to be a prime minister in Egypt. Think about it. Really? Or I want to be on God's side and be a special nation. Be a nation of kings and priests to the Almighty God. What a choice here, right? Which one would you pick? What a choice. And now, so Moses came and called the elders, not everybody. He called the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Look at the answer. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Verse 9. God is trying to establish something here. Perform some miracle so the people will remember this forever. What it is. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud. Why? That the people might hear when I speak with you and believe you, not believe me, believe you, Moses, forever. I'm going to do something spectacular so these people going to believe you what you're saying, Moses, forever. Skip down to verse 16, just for the sake of time. Then he came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. Try to picture yourself in their shoes. Try to imagine yourself standing close to that mountain and see all of these things that were happening there. Okay? Try to. 
and a thick cloud on the mountains, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now the Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And in my Bible here, I have a little bit, I have actually here a little bit asterisk behind the word mountain, which Septuagint can mean all the people. So this verse is possible, could also read, and, and the whole people quaked greatly. Not just the mountain, but the people were afraid of all of this thing. In verse 19, and when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and become louder and louder, Imagine this, the noise, the level of it. It just go more and higher and higher and higher, right? Can you imagine that? Can you picture yourself? See, you're standing there above this mountain. Look at this. When this intensity of this noise is rising, look what's happening. Moses spoke. How did they hear Moses? When the trumpet is so loud that everything is shaking, Moses spoke and God answered him, by voice. Can you picture it? Can you see it? Can you imagine it? How powerful miracle it is? And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Think about it. What a miracle. What a miracle. Why did God do this thing? We have a reason in verse 9. So the people will have fear and believe forever. Believe Moses what you are saying. That's the reason why. This is the first encounter in the biblical account on trumpet sounding to some degree that is so memorable that God is saying, I want you to remember this thing forever. Forever and forever. Now, some very important aspects here, as I already mentioned it. But we need to highlight them. And we need to remember them. God's objective was to make sure that people will listen to Moses. By listening to Moses, they were listening to God. That's why we have the Torah. That's why we have the covenant. That's how important it is. And here, as we hear at the beginning of verse 19, all the rulers agree with Moses what he was saying. They all said, Whatever you say, Moses, we will do. And now, we go to the Ten Commandments. God speak in a loud voice to all the people so they can hear it, the Ten Commandments. And they get afraid of it. Verse 18. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Mission accomplished. They were afraid of it. They were afraid of God. Verse 19. Then, then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. We'll listen to you. There is a fear. There is a fear of Moses now. God accomplished his purpose. 
Now, a few chapters later, as God is still in the process of giving Moses the remaining of the law, chapter 24. Another wonderful picture. Try to imagine yourself standing there at this day during this ceremony. Verse 24, Exodus chapter 24, verse 2. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came down and told, and, and, and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, all the words of the Lord and the entire Torah, and all the judgments related to the law of God and all the punishments and all the people answer, not just the, not just the leaders. All the people answer with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. Great. Very good. What happened next? And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribe of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who were off, who were who offered burnt offering and sacrifice peace offering of oxen to the Lord. You know how huge oxen are. You know how much blood comes just from one oxen if you try to sacrifice it. Read the next verse. And Moses took half, half the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. When, they, when we read this word sprinkle, which just mean like, oh, just the, he put just a little bit. He used half of the blood and just put it on the altar. Can you imagine the sound of the fire when he did this thing? When you were standing there? You know, we have no idea how many oxen were there. But we're talking about liters of liters of blood. Serious. It was a bloody event. Look what happened next. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Think of it. Moses put a hyssop in this blood and as he was walking by the people, he just poured the blood on all the people all over the place, everywhere, of every single one of them. It was a bloody event. Imagine if you come to church dressed like me. There were blood stains all over me. I am under the blood covenant. Do you realize what is what is the blood covenant? Do we see the picture? What is the blood covenant? What is what it means in today's day? What is the blood covenant? If you guys not gonna do it, what is written in this book, you're gonna end up like the sacrificial animal there. That's what's going to happen to your blood. Basically, that's what it is. On both sides. God committed himself to. If I not perform what is here written in this book, 
all do the same thing. This is called a blood covenant. They all, every single one of them, they all agree to it. Can you imagine this event? Can you picture yourself standing there when the blood is going on you, on your face, on your eyes, all over the place? Blood is everywhere. In today's day and age, we wouldn't even allow our children to watch something like that on a nature channel because this is too violent. So many people don't eat meat because they think it's a cruelty to animals the way how we kill them. What about to these animals right there? What then? Where were the little kids? Did they keep them in their tent so we don't see the violence, we don't see the blood? They experience everything. Everything that happened on the day. What a bloody event. What a meaningful event. And today, in this day and age, no one has any clue what the blood covenant is all about. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Now we are done with the old covenant, the new covenant. Blood doesn't matter. Christ will do everything for us. We can do whatever we want. That's why he died for us. So he can have the freedom. We can do whatever we want to do. That's what most Christianity is preaching today. It's all about love. Love, love, brother. It's all love. Don't have to worry about anything else. It's love. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. Now Christ is doing something here. Chapter 28. For this is my blood. And if you have a good Bible... This is my blood of the new covenant. You will see that new. There's a little letter in my Bible which says in the original text there is no such thing as new. It doesn't exist. Right? It's just added by the translators. So we don't think about the horrible meaning of the old covenant. We have all, we are in the new covenant. For this is my blood of the covenant which is shed for many For the remission of sins. So wait a minute. You and you and me. Under what covenant are we today? It's it's not a blood covenant. Are we not responsible for anything? Is God going to do everything for us? He's going to just control us the way how we walk. Jen, you're walking wrong way now. Jen, you're going the good way. Jen, go back two steps. Go back to this place. I'll do everything for you. That's what most, most people think today. Don't have to do anything. Enjoy your life. You have freedom in Christ. No obedience to law. And Christ says, this is the covenant in my blood. What is that supposed to mean? You figure that out. We need to figure that out. What is that supposed to mean? Again, what are we to remember when we come together for the Feast of Trumpets? What's the memory there? What's supposed to be going through our heads? 
Just the law? One. Our God is to be greatly fear God. He's not joking. When he said something, he's serious. And you know what? No one can withstand God's presence. We saw it. Any sin will kill you in front of God. Little tiny sin will kill you in front of my majestic holy God. Have no chance. We stand God. And now look what we did to our God now today. God is tolerating everything. We can do all things. We don't need to be afraid of God. There is no fear of God in our society today. There is no fear of God in even our churches. We don't fear God anymore. God is our friend. We just go on our knees and say, Father, we need this, this, and this. And just please make it as quickly as you can. Amen. Jesus Christ, we ask. And we're just waiting for it. I don't know if I'm right or maybe I'm wrong. I guess so. So our God is to be greatly feared. And you're right, Loren. Point two. Our God gave us his law to obey. Do you have a choice? And especially if you claim to be in a covenant relationship with him. You have a choice. Can you pick and choose what you want to obey, what you don't want to obey? You argue with God. And today, look at this. Today, how many Christians today want to obey Moses? How many? And what did God say? I want you to have fear in Moses. Whatever he says, listen to him. Didn't Christ say the same thing? Listen to the writing of Moses? Absolutely. The same thing. Point three. Our God established a covenant of blood with his people. A covenant. A covenant. No one today understands what the covenant is. No one today understands what the covenant of blood is. And no one understands what it's supposed to mean when you're under covenant. If this God is God of the covenant, next point, our God doesn't change. That's where Malachi come in. He's God of the covenant. He can't change. Whatever it's written, it's written. Because God can't change, I can't change either. I can't invent some different things because I don't like it what I see it. I can't. I'm obligated to laugh what is written here. No matter how great is my imagination. I can change God's law. I can add to it. I can subtract to it. I can do anything to it. It's not in my power. I have to live by it. Next point. Through this event, as we're reading the scriptures, reading the Bible, we can be sure that God will finish what he had started. He will finish. Just have faith. When we saw it. It is only God. There's no any other one who knows the beginning from the end. And that's come from the study of Isaiah. He is the one. There is no any single one on this entire universe who can tell you this thing except our God. He can tell you what was at the beginning and he can tell you what's going to be there at the end. Not Muhammad, not Trump, not any other prime minister, no matter where, only he can do it. And it's right here in his written word. 
as a record that he's not lying. He's not changing his opinion with the political events. He says, oops, I can't do this thing, so I need to adjust here. And last point. There could be many points. But just the major one. God is a righteous judge. And don't think that, you know, you love Christ and Christ loves you, that you're going to escape his judgment. Be ready. Judge is ready to judge. Do we care in our churches? Do we see him this way? And I would like to finish today with two closing scriptures. There are long ones, but the, the last one. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. What a spectacular event back then at the Mount of Sinai. What a spectacular event it was. Here in the book of Hebrew, verse 18. Just breaking into the context. I don't, don't have time to explain all of this, but you will pick it up as, as we read it through it. Verse 18, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that, and that burned with fire and to the blackness and darkness and, and tempest and the sound of trumpet and the voice of words so that those who hear it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. And why? Why? They were really afraid? No, what it says in verse 20. For they could not endure what was commanded. They were so sinful, they could, they could not endure the commandment that God was giving to them. There was no fear in them of God. Now, and, it, and, and so much as the beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Verse 21. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirit of just men, just men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And now, we're going to transition to verse 25. And this is very important. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. We have a history lesson there. And the Feast of Trumpet is coming soon. Make sure that we do not refuse him who speaks. Okay? For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? You think you know better? You think that you're much better relationship than they were? You think that you can go along and sin? That you think you think you're gonna escape all of these things? Because God is loving and He's all about love, 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 love. Think about it. 
whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake, not only the earth, but also heaven. And there is a quote from Habakkuk, and we're going to go there very soon. And now this, yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken might, might remain. Let's go to the Habakkuk, where we actually read the quote. Habakkuk chapter, Habakkuk, no, Haggai, prophet Haggai, sorry. Prophet Haggai chapter 2. Just give me, give me a little bit background, the context of the story, what we're going to read here. People come there from captivity, and we can only imagine how discouraging this thing was. Jerusalem was totally destroyed. The temple was raised to the ground. There was nothing there. And they had to rebuild, and especially they had to rebuild the worship center of the nation, the, the temple. And we know that the work was not going too well. So God had to intervene, and God had to speak to these people. I want you to watch the language of God said. So Haggai chapter 2, and let, let's look, let's start from verse 2. Speak now to Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, I want you to speak to everybody, to the elders and to the people. This is an important message. God is communicating. They have nothing, nothing going on there. Nothing positive is going on there. And he said, he's asking a question. Verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? So think about it. Who among you in the audience is old enough? They were in captivity for 70 years. So to remember the temple, its glory as it was standing, it had to be at least 10 years old. Can I say 10 years old to remember it? At the age of 10, you went into the captivity. You're coming back, you're 80 years old. So there are some people who remember the first temple, the Solomon temple, how beautiful it was, how glorious it was. How many people from over the place just wanted to see the beauty of the temple that Solomon built? God is asking a question. Who is left among you who remember all the stuff? And there were some people who probably say, yes, I do. I remember. So God has another question. And how do you see it now? How do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Absolutely. The older people, when they were looking at it, says, what are you building, guys? What you're creating? The other, the other temples made from marble, from gold, for all this beautiful material. What are you guys making here? This is nothing. Disgusting. What is our God? He left us. Keep reading. Verse 4. Yet, now be strong. He's telling to the people. Of all these things that you see, of all these things that you experience, of all these things that's going on at this moment, he says, be strong. Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and Joshua, and the high priest. And be strong to all you people of the land, says the Lord. And what? What's the next thing? You be strong and what? What does it say in the scripture? And work. And work. Don't worry what happened in the past. Don't worry what's going to happen in the future. Your job is just to work. 
You work. You do the God's work. Don't worry. I'll take care of everything else. You just do what you're supposed to do. What is that thing to do? To work. To work. For I am with you, says the Lord God of hosts. According, look at this, the next, verse 5. Why is God doing this thing? Where are all these obligations coming to? He, he had the right to walk away. Verse 5. According to the word that I covenanted with you. Oh, wait a minute. According to the word that I covenanted with you, when you came out of Egypt, so because of the covenant that I make with you, I can't walk away. Because my word is precious when I speak. So don't worry. I will accomplish what you're looking for. So my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord. Verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts. Once more. That's the quote from Hebrew. Once more. It is a little while. And I will shake heaven and earth. The sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations. And they shall come. To the desire of all nations. You see it? A little prophecy. A little minor prophets. To the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this leather temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in, and in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. This is a future prophecy. Hasn't been yet fulfilled. God is still working on it. He's still building his temple. So, brethren, as the Feast of Trumpet comes, what is the message for us here today? As we're going to come together, what is the message for us? Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about what's ahead of you. Be faithful. If you're under covenant, be faithful. God will take care of you. Even if you had to die, just be faithful and work. Don't be lazy. Work. Work and work. Do his work. Not your work. Do his work. And he will take care of you. So we see, Feast of Trumpet is not just about blowing a trumpet. And say like, wow, I perform a God commandment. This is a meaning behind the trumpet. It's supposed to draw our memory to this great, horrible thing that people experience right there. That we should have a fear. Fear in us. You know, we just think that, you know, we have so much time, you know, and just have, you know, take it easy. We can do whatever we want to, you know, just enjoy our lives. One day, God will come, and he will judge. May God be with you all. Do I do a prayer now, or do it at the end? No, we're not brought. I can do it at the end?